Section two of Lourdes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Lourdes by Emile Zola. Translated by Ernest Vizetelli. The first day. Two. Pierre and Marie. The green landscapes of Poitou were now defiling before them, and Abbe Pierre Fromant, gazing out of the window, watched the trees fly away till, little by little, he ceased to distinguish them. A steeple appeared and then vanished, and all the pilgrims crossed themselves. They would not reach Poitiers until 12.35, and the train was still rolling on amid the growing weariness of that oppressive, stormy day. Falling into a deep reverie, the young priest no longer heard the words of the canticle, which sounded in his ears merely like a slow, wavy lullaby. Forgetfulness of the present had come upon him. An awakening of the past filled his whole being. He was reascending the stream of memory, reascending it to its source. He again beheld the house at Neuilly, where he had been born and where he still lived, that home of peace and toil, with its garden planted with a few fine trees and parted by a quick-set hedge and palisade from the garden of the neighbouring house, which was similar to his own. He was again three, perhaps four years old, and round a table, shaded by the big horse-chestnut tree, he once more beheld his father, his mother, and his elder brother at Déjeuner. To his father, Michel Froment, he could give no distinct lineaments. He pictured him but faintly, vaguely, renowned as an illustrious chemist, bearing the title of member of the Institute, and leading a cloistered life in the laboratory which he had installed in that secluded, deserted suburb. However, he could plainly see his first brother Guillaume, then fourteen years of age, whom some holiday had brought from college that morning. And then, and even more vividly, his mother, so gentle and so quiet, with eyes so full of active kindliness. Later on he learned what anguish had racked that religious soul, that believing woman who, from esteem and gratitude, had resignedly accepted marriage with an unbeliever, her senior by fifteen years, to whom her relatives were indebted for great services. He, Pierre, the tardy offspring of this union, born when his father was already near his fiftieth year, had only known his mother as a respectful, conquered woman in the presence of her husband, whom she had learned to love passionately, with the frightful torment of knowing, however, that he was doomed to perdition. And all at once another memory flashed upon the young priest, the terrible memory of the day when his father had died, killed in his laboratory by an accident, the explosion of a retort. He, Pierre, had then been five years old, and he remembered the slightest incidents, his mother's cry when she had found the shattered body among the remnants of the chemical appliances, then her terror, her sobs, her prayers at the idea that God had slain the unbeliever, damned him for evermore. Not daring to burn his books and papers, she had contented herself with locking up the laboratory, which henceforth nobody entered. And from that moment, haunted by a vision of hell, she had had but one idea, to possess herself of her second son who was still so young, to give him a strictly religious training, and through him to ransom her husband, secure his forgiveness from God. Guillaume, her elder boy, had already ceased to belong to her, having grown up at the college, where he had been won over by the ideas of the century. But she resolved that the other, the younger one, should not leave the house, but should have a priest as tutor. And her secret dream, her consuming hope, was that she might some day see him a priest himself, saying his first mass and solacing souls whom the thought of eternity tortured. 
then between green leafy boughs flecked with sunlight another figure rose vividly before pierre's eyes he suddenly beheld marie de gersin as he had seen her one morning through a gap in the hedge dividing the two gardens monsieur de gersin who belonged to the petty norman noblesse was a combination of architect and inventor and he was at that time busy with a scheme of model dwellings for the poor to which churches and schools were to be attached an affair of considerable magnitude planned none too well however and in which with his customary impetuosity the lack of foresight of an imperfect artist he was risking the three hundred thousand francs that he possessed a similarity of religious faith had drawn madame de gersin and madame froment together but the former was altogether a superior woman perspicuous and rigid with an iron hand which alone prevented her household from gliding to a catastrophe and she was bringing up her two daughters blanche and marie in principles of narrow piety the elder one already being as grave as herself whilst the younger albeit very devout was still fond of play with an intensity of life within her which found vent in gay peals of sonorous laughter from their early childhood pierre and marie played together the hedge was ever being crossed the two families constantly mingled and on that clear sunshiny morning when he pictured her parting the leafy branches she was already ten years old he who was sixteen was to enter the seminary on the following tuesday never had she seemed to him so pretty her hair of a pure golden hue was so long that when it was let down it sufficed to clothe her well did he remember her face as it had been then with round cheeks blue eyes red mouth and skin of dazzling snowy whiteness she was indeed as gay and brilliant as the sun itself a transplendency yet there were tears at the corner of her eyes for she was aware of his coming departure they sat down together at the far end of the garden in the shadow cast by the hedge their hands mingled and their hearts were very heavy they had however never exchanged any vows amid their pastimes for their innocence was absolute but now on the eve of separation their mutual tenderness rose to their lips and they spoke without knowing swore that they would ever think of one another and find one another again some day even as one meets in heaven to be very very happy then without understanding how it happened they clasped each other tightly to the point of suffocation and kissed each other's face weeping the while hot tears and it was that delightful memory which pierre had ever carried with him which he felt alive within him still after so many years and after so many painful renunciations just then a more violent shock roused him from his reverie he turned his eyes upon the carriage and vaguely espied the suffering beings it contained madame mars motionless overwhelmed with grief little rose gently moaning in her mother's lap la grivotte whom a hoarse cough was choking for a moment sister hyacinthe's gay face shone out amidst the whiteness of her coif and wimple dominating all the others the painful journey was continuing with a ray of divine hope still and ever shining yonder then everything slowly vanished from pierre's eyes as a fresh wave of memory brought the past back from afar and nothing of the present remained save the lulling hymn the indistinct voices of dreamland emerging from the invisible henceforth he was at the seminary the classrooms the recreation ground with its trees rose up clearly before him but all at once he only beheld as in a mirror the youthful face which had then been his and he contemplated it and scrutinized it as though it had been the face of a stranger tall and slender he had an elongated visage with an unusually developed forehead lofty and straight like a tower 
whilst his jaws tapered ending in a small refined chin he seemed in fact to be all brains his mouth rather large alone retained an expression of tenderness indeed when his usually serious face relaxed his mouth and eyes acquired an exceedingly soft expression betokening an unsatisfied hungry desire to love devote oneself and live but immediately afterwards the look of intellectual passion would come back again that intellectuality which had ever consumed him with an anxiety to understand and know and it was with surprise that he now recalled those years of seminary life how was it that he had so long been able to accept the rude discipline of blind faith of obedient belief in everything without the slightest examination it had been required of him that he should absolutely surrender his reasoning faculties and he had striven to do so had succeeded indeed in stifling his torturing need of truth doubtless he had been softened weakened by his mother's tears had been possessed by the sole desire to afford her the great happiness she dreamt of yet now he remembered certain quiverings of revolt he found in the depths of his mind the memory of nights which he had spent in weeping without knowing why nights peopled with vague images nights through which galloped the free virile life of the world when marie's face incessantly returned to him such as he had seen it one morning dazzling and bathed in tears while she embraced him with her whole soul and that alone now remained his years of religious study with their monotonous lessons their ever similar exercises and ceremonies had flown away into the same haze into a vague half-light full of mortal silence then just as the train had passed through a station at full speed with the sudden uproar of its rush there arose within him a succession of confused visions he had noticed a large deserted enclosure and fancied that he could see himself within it at twenty years of age his reverie was wandering an indisposition of rather long duration had however at one time interrupted his studies and led to his being sent into the country he had remained for a long time without seeing marie during his vacations spent at neuilly he had twice failed to meet her for she was almost always travelling he knew that she was very ill in consequence of a fall from a horse when she was thirteen a critical moment in a girl's life and her despairing mother perplexed by the contradictory advice of medical men was taking her each year to a different watering-place then he learnt the startling news of the sudden tragical death of that mother who was so severe and yet so useful to her kin she had been carried off in five days by inflammation of the lungs which she had contracted one evening whilst she was out walking at la bourboule through having taken off her mantle to place it round the shoulders of marie who had been conveyed thither for treatment it had been necessary that the father should at once start off to fetch his daughter who was mad with grief and the corpse of his wife who had been so suddenly torn from him and unhappily after losing her the affairs of the family went from bad to worse in the hands of this architect who without counting flung his fortune into the yawning gulf of his unsuccessful enterprises marie no longer stirred from her couch only blanche remained to manage the household and she had matters of her own to attend to being busy with the last examinations which she had to pass the diplomas which she was obstinately intent on securing foreseeing as she did that she would some day have to earn her bread all at once from amidst this mass of confused half-forgotten incidents pierre was conscious of the rise of a vivid vision ill health he remembered had again compelled him to take a holiday he had just completed his twenty-fourth year he was greatly behindhand having so far only secured the four minor orders but on his return a subdeaconship would be conferred on him and an inviolable vow would bind him for evermore 
and the garcin's little garden at neuilly whither he had formerly so often gone to play again distinctly appeared before him marie's couch had been rolled under the tall trees at the far end of the garden near the hedge they were alone together in the sad peacefulness of an autumnal afternoon and he saw marie clad in deep mourning for her mother and reclining there with legs inert whilst he also clad in black in a cassock already sat near her on an iron garden chair for five years she had been suffering she was now eighteen paler and thinner than formerly but still adorable with her regal golden hair which illness respected he believed from what he had heard that she was destined to remain infirm condemned never to become a woman stricken even in her sex the doctors who failed to agree respecting her case had abandoned her doubtless it was she who told him these things that dreary afternoon whilst the yellow withered leaves rained upon them however he could not remember the words that they had spoken her pale smile her young face still so charming though already dimmed by regretfulness for life alone remained present with him but he realized that she had evoked the far-off day of their parting on that same spot behind the hedge flecked with sunlight and all that was already as though dead their tears their embrace their promise to find one another some day with a certainty of happiness for although they had found one another again what availed it since she was but a corpse and he was about to bid farewell to the life of the world as the doctors condemned her as she would never be woman nor wife nor mother he on his side might well renounce manhood and annihilate himself dedicate himself to god to whom his mother gave him and he still felt within him the soft bitterness of that last interview marie smiling painfully at memory of their childish play and prattle and speaking to him of the happiness which he would assuredly find in the service of god so penetrated indeed with emotion at this thought that she had made him promise that he would let her hear him say his first mass but the train was passing the station of saint maur and just then a sudden uproar momentarily brought pierre's attention back to the carriage and its occupants he fancied that there had been some fresh seizure or swooning but the suffering faces that he beheld were still the same ever contracted by the same expression of anxious waiting for the divine succour which was so slow in coming Monsieur Sabatier was vainly striving to get his legs into a comfortable position, whilst Brother Isidore raised a feeble, continuous moan like a dying child, and Madame Vetu, a prey to terrible agony, devoured by her disease, sat motionless and kept her lips tightly closed, her face distorted, haggard, and almost black. The noise which Pierre had heard had been occasioned by Madame de Jonquière, who, whilst cleansing a basin, had dropped the large zinc water-can and despite their torment this had made the patients laugh like the simple souls they were rendered puerile by suffering however sister hyacinthe who rightly called them her children children whom she governed with a word at once set them saying the chaplet again pending the angelus which would only be said at chatellerault in accordance with the predetermined programme and thereupon the aves followed one after the other spreading into a confused murmuring and mumbling amidst the rattling of the coupling irons and noisy growling of the wheels pierre had meantime relapsed into his reverie and beheld himself as he had been at six-and-twenty when ordained a priest tardy scruples had come to him a few days before his ordination a semi-consciousness that he was binding himself without having clearly questioned his heart and mind but he had avoided doing so living in the dizzy bewilderment of his decision fancying that he had lopped off all human ties and feelings with a voluntary hatchet-stroke his flesh had surely died with his childhood's innocent romance 
that white-skinned girl with golden hair whom now he never beheld otherwise than stretched upon her couch of suffering her flesh as lifeless as his own and he had afterwards made the sacrifice of his mind which he then fancied even an easier one hoping as he did that determination would suffice to prevent him from thinking besides it was too late he could not recoil at the last moment and if when he pronounced the last solemn vow he felt a secret terror an indeterminate but immense regret agitating him he forgot everything savouring a divine reward for his efforts on the day when he afforded his mother the great and long-expected joy of hearing him say his first mass he could still see the poor woman in the little church of neuilly which she herself had selected the church where the funeral service for his father had been celebrated he saw her on that cold november morning kneeling almost alone in the dark little chapel her hands hiding her face as she continued weeping whilst he raised the host it was there that she had tasted her last happiness for she had led a sad and lonely life no longer seeing her elder son who had gone away swayed by other ideas than her own bent on breaking off all family intercourse since his brother intended to enter the church it was said that guillaume a chemist of great talent like his father but at the same time a bohemian addicted to revolutionary dreams was living in a little house in the suburbs where he devoted himself to the dangerous study of explosive substances and folks added that he was living with a woman who had come no one knew whence this it was which had severed the last tie between himself and his mother all piety and propriety for three years pierre had not once seen guillaume whom in his childhood he had worshipped as a kind merry and fatherly big brother but there came an awful pang to his heart he once more beheld his mother lying dead this again was a thunderbolt an illness of scarcely three days duration a sudden passing away as in the case of madame de guersin one evening after a wild hunt for the doctor he had found her motionless and quite white she had died during his absence and his lips had ever retained the icy thrill of the last kiss that he had given her of everything else the vigil the preparations the funeral he remembered nothing all that had become lost in the black night of his stupor and grief grief so extreme that he had almost died of it seized with shivering on his return from the cemetery struck down by a fever which during three weeks had kept him delirious hovering between life and death his brother had come and nursed him and had then attended to pecuniary matters dividing the little inheritance leaving him the house and a modest income and taking his own share in money and as soon as guillaume had found him out of danger he had gone off again once more vanishing into the unknown but then through what a long convalescence he pierre had passed buried as it were in that deserted house he had done nothing to detain guillaume for he realized that there was an abyss between them at first the solitude had brought him suffering but afterwards it had grown very pleasant whether in the deep silence of the rooms which the rare noises of the street did not disturb or under the screening shady foliage of the little garden where he could spend whole days without seeing a soul his favourite place of refuge however was the old laboratory his father's cabinet which his mother for twenty years had kept carefully locked up as though to immure within it all the incredulity and damnation of the past and despite the gentleness the respectful submissiveness which she had shown in former times she would perhaps have some day ended by destroying all her husband's books and papers had not death so suddenly surprised her pierre however had once more had the windows opened the writing-table and the bookcase dusted and installed in the large leather armchair he now spent delicious hours there regenerated as it were by his illness brought back to his youthful days again 
deriving a wondrous intellectual delight from the perusal of the books which he came upon the only person whom he remembered having received during those two months of slow recovery was dr chassaigne an old friend of his father's a medical man of real merit who with the one ambition of curing disease modestly confined himself to the role of the practitioner it was in vain that the doctor had sought to save madame Froment, but he flattered himself that he had extricated the young priest from grievous danger and he came to see him from time to time to chat with him and to cheer him talking with him of his father the great chemist of whom he recounted many a charming anecdote many a particular still glowing with the flame of ardent friendship little by little amidst the weak languor of convalescence the son had thus beheld an embodiment of charming simplicity affection and good nature rising up before him it was his father such as he had really been not the man of stern science whom he had pictured whilst listening to his mother certainly she had never taught him aught but respect for that dear memory but had not her husband been the unbeliever the man who denied and made the angels weep the artisan of impiety who sought to change the world that god had made and so he had long remained a gloomy vision a spectre of damnation prowling about the house whereas now he became the house's very light clear and gay a worker consumed by a longing for truth who had never desired anything but the love and happiness of all for his part dr chassaigne a pyrenean by birth born in a far-off secluded village where folks still believed in sorceresses inclined rather towards religion although he had not set his feet inside a church during the forty years that he had been living in paris however his conviction was absolute if there were a heaven somewhere michel Froment was assuredly there and not merely there but seated upon a throne on the divinity's right hand then pierre in a few minutes again lived through the frightful torment which during two long months had ravaged him it was not that he had found controversial works of an anti-religious character in the bookcase or that his father whose papers he sorted had ever gone beyond his technical studies as a savant but little by little despite himself the light of science dawned upon him an ensemble of proven phenomena which demolished dogmas and left within him nothing of the things which as a priest he should have believed it seemed in fact as though illness had renewed him as though he were again beginning to live and learn amid the physical pleasantness of convalescence that still subsisting weakness which lent penetrating lucidity to his brain at the seminary by the advice of his masters he had always kept the spirit of inquiry his thirst for knowledge in check much of that which was taught him there had surprised him however he had succeeded in making the sacrifice of his mind required of his piety but now all the laboriously raised scaffolding of dogmas was swept away in a revolt of that sovereign mind which clamoured for its rights and which he could no longer silence truth was bubbling up and overflowing in such an irresistible stream that he realized he would never succeed in lodging error in his brain again it was indeed the total and irreparable ruin of faith although he had been able to kill his flesh by renouncing the romance of his youth although he felt that he had altogether mastered carnal passion he now knew that it would be impossible for him to make the sacrifice of his intelligence and he was not mistaken it was indeed his father again springing to life in the depths of his being and at last obtaining the mastery in that dual heredity in which during so many years his mother had dominated the upper part of his face his straight towering brow seemed to have risen yet higher whilst the lower part the small chin the affectionate mouth were becoming less distinct however he suffered at certain twilight hours when his kindliness his need of love awoke he felt distracted with grief at no longer believing distracted with desire to believe again 
and it was necessary that the lighted lamp should be brought in that he should see clearly around him and within him before he could recover the energy and calmness of reason the strength of martyrdom the determination to sacrifice everything to the peace of his conscience then came the crisis he was a priest and he no longer believed this had suddenly yawned before him like a bottomless abyss it was the end of his life the collapse of everything what should he do did not simple rectitude require that he should throw off the cassock and return to the world but he had seen some renegade priests and had despised them a married priest with whom he was acquainted filled him with disgust all this no doubt was but a survival of his long religious training he retained the notion that a priest cannot must not weaken the idea that when one has dedicated oneself to god one cannot take possession of oneself again possibly also he felt that he was too plainly branded too different from other men already to prove otherwise than awkward and unwelcome among them since he had been cut off from them he would remain apart in his grievous pride and after days of anguish days of struggle incessantly renewed in which his thirst for happiness warred with the energies of his returning health he took the heroic resolution that he would remain a priest and an honest one he would find the strength necessary for such abnegation since he had conquered the flesh albeit unable to conquer the brain he felt sure of keeping his vow of chastity and that would be unshakable therein lay the pure upright life which he was absolutely certain of living what mattered the rest if he alone suffered if nobody in the world suspected that his heart was reduced to ashes that nothing remained of his faith that he was agonizing amidst fearful falsehood his rectitude would prove a firm prop he would follow his priestly calling like an honest man without breaking any of the vows that he had taken he would in due accord with the rites discharge his duties as a minister of the divinity whom he would praise and glorify at the altar and distribute as the bread of life to the faithful who then would dare to impute his loss of faith to him as a crime even if this great misfortune should some day become known and what more could be asked of him than lifelong devotion to his vow regard for his ministry and the practice of every charity without the hope of any future reward in this wise he ended by calming himself still upright still bearing his head erect with the desolate grandeur of the priest who himself no longer believes but continues watching over the faith of others and he certainly was not alone he felt that he had many brothers priests with ravaged minds who had sunk into incredulity and who yet like soldiers without a fatherland remained at the altar and despite everything found the courage to make the divine illusion shine forth above the kneeling crowds on recovering his health pierre had immediately resumed his service at the little church of neuilly he said his mass there every morning but he had resolved to refuse any appointment any preferment months and years went by and he obstinately insisted on remaining the least known and the most humble of those priests who are tolerated in a parish who appear and disappear after discharging their duty the acceptance of any appointment would have seemed to him an aggravation of his falsehood a theft from those who were more deserving than himself and he had to resist frequent offers for it was impossible for his merits to remain unnoticed indeed his obstinate modesty provoked astonishment at the archbishop's palace where there was a desire to utilize the power which could be divined in him now and again it is true he bitterly regretted that he was not useful that he did not cooperate in some great work in furthering the purification of the world the salvation and happiness of all in accordance with his own ardent torturing desire fortunately his time was nearly all his own 
and to console himself he gave rein to his passion for work by devouring every volume in his father's bookcase and then again resuming and considering his studies feverishly preoccupied with regard to the history of nations full of a desire to explore the depths of the social and religious crisis so that he might ascertain whether it were really beyond remedy it was at this time whilst rummaging one morning in one of the large drawers in the lower part of the bookcase that he discovered quite a collection of papers respecting the apparitions of lourdes it was a very complete set of documents comprising detailed notes of the interrogatories to which bernadette had been subjected copies of numerous official documents and police and medical reports in addition to many private and confidential letters of the greatest interest this discovery had surprised pierre and he had questioned dr chassaigne concerning it the latter thereupon remembered that his friend michel Froment had at one time passionately devoted himself to the study of bernadette's case and he himself a native of the village near lourdes had procured for the chemist a portion of the documents in the collection pierre in his turn then became impassioned and for a whole month continued studying the affair powerfully attracted by the visionary's pure upright nature but indignant with all that had subsequently sprouted up the barbarous fetishism the painful superstitions and the triumphant simony in the access of unbelief which had come upon him this story of lourdes was certainly of a nature to complete the collapse of his faith however it had also excited his curiosity and he would have liked to investigate it to establish beyond dispute what scientific truth was in it and render to pure christianity the service of ridding it of this scoria this fairy tale all touching and childish as it was but he had been obliged to relinquish his studies shrinking from the necessity of making a journey to the grotto and finding that it would be extremely difficult to obtain the information which he still needed and of it all there at last only remained within him a tender feeling for bernadette of whom he could not think without a sensation of delightful charm and infinite pity the days went by and pierre led a more and more lonely life dr chassaigne had just left for the pyrenees in a state of mortal anxiety abandoning his patience he had set out for cotteret with his ailing wife who was sinking more and more each day to the infinite distress of both his charming daughter and himself from that moment the little house at neuilly fell into death-like silence and emptiness pierre had no other distraction than that of occasionally going to see the garcins who had long since left the neighbouring house but whom he had found again in a small lodging in a wretched tenement of the district and the memory of his first visit to them there was yet so fresh within him that he felt a pang at his heart as he recalled his emotion at sight of the hapless marie that pang roused him from his reverie and on looking round he perceived marie stretched on the seat as he had found her on the day which he recalled already imprisoned in that gutter-like box that coffin to which wheels were adapted when she was taken out of doors for an airing she formerly so brimful of life ever astir and laughing was dying of inaction and immobility in that box of her old-time beauty she had retained nothing save her hair which clad her as with a royal mantle and she was so emaciated that she seemed to have grown smaller again to have become once more a child and what was most distressing was the expression on her pale face the blank frigid stare of her eyes which did not see the ever-haunting absent look as one of whom her suffering overwhelmed however she noticed that pierre was gazing at her and at once desired to smile at him but irresistible moans escaped her and when she did at last smile it was like a poor smitten creature who is convinced that she will expire before the miracle takes place 
he was overcome by it and amidst all the sufferings with which the carriage abounded hers were now the only ones that he beheld and heard as though one and all were summed up in her in the long and terrible agony of her beauty gaiety and youth then by degrees without taking his eyes off marie he again reverted to former days again lived those hours fraught with a mournful and bitter charm which he had often spent beside her when he called at the sorry lodging to keep her company monsieur de guersin had finally ruined himself by trying to improve the artistic quality of the religious prints so widely sold in france the faulty execution of which quite irritated him his last resources had been swallowed up in the failure of a colour printing firm and heedless as he was deficient in foresight ever trusting in providence his childish mind continually swayed by illusions he did not notice the awful pecuniary embarrassment of the household but applied himself to the study of aerial navigation without even realizing what prodigious activity his elder daughter blanche was forced to display in order to earn the living of her two children as she was wont to call her father and her sister it was blanche who running about paris in the dust or the mud from morning to evening in order to give french or music lessons contrived to provide the money necessary for the unremitting attentions which marie required and marie often experienced attacks of despair bursting into tears and accusing herself of being the primary cause of their ruin as for years and years now it had been necessary to pay for medical attendance and for taking her to almost every imaginable spring la bourboule aix la malou amélie les bains and others and the outcome of ten years of varied diagnosis and treatment was that the doctors had now abandoned her some thought her illness to be due to the rupture of certain ligaments others believed in the presence of a tumour others again in paralysis due to injury to the spinal cord and as she with maidenly revolt refused to undergo any examination and they did not even dare to address precise questions to her they each contented themselves with their several opinions and declared that she was beyond cure moreover she now solely relied upon the divine help having grown rigidly pious since she had been suffering and finding her only relief in her ardent faith thus every morning she herself read the holy offices for to her great sorrow she was unable to go to church her inert limbs now seemed quite lifeless and she had sunk into a condition of extreme weakness to such a point in fact that on certain days it became necessary for her sister to place her food in her mouth pierre was thinking of this when all at once he recalled an evening he had spent with her the lamp had not yet been lighted and as he sat beside her in the growing obscurity she suddenly told him that she wished to go to lourdes feeling certain that she would return cured he had experienced an uncomfortable sensation on hearing her speak in this fashion and quite forgetting himself had exclaimed that it was folly to believe in such childishness he had hitherto made it a rule never to converse with her on religious matters having not only refused to be her confessor but even to advise her with regard to the petty uncertainties of her pietism in this respect he was influenced by feelings of both shame and compassion to lie to her of all people would have made him suffer and moreover he would have deemed himself a criminal had he even by a breath sullied the fervent pure faith which lent her such strength against pain and so regretting that he had not been able to restrain his exclamation he remained sorely embarrassed when all at once he felt the girl's cold hand take hold of his own and then emboldened by the darkness she ventured in a gentle faltering voice to tell him that she already knew his secret his misfortune that wretchedness so fearful for a priest of being unable to believe 
despite himself he had revealed everything during their chats together and she with the delicate intuition of a friend had been able to read his conscience she felt terribly distressed on his account she deemed him with that mortal moral malady to be more deserving of pity than herself and then as he thunderstruck was still unable to find an answer acknowledging the truth of her words by his very silence she again began to speak to him of lourdes adding in a low whisper that she wished to confide him as well as herself to the protection of the blessed virgin whom she entreated to restore him to faith and from that evening forward she did not cease speaking on the subject repeating again and again that if she went to lourdes she would be surely cured but she was prevented from making the journey by lack of means and did not even dare to speak to her sister of the pecuniary question so two months went by and day by day she grew weaker exhausted by her longing dreams her eyes ever turned towards the flashing light of the miraculous grotto far away pierre then experienced many painful days he had at first told marie that he would not accompany her but his decision was somewhat shaken by the thought that if he made up his mind to go he might profit by the journey to continue his inquiries with regard to bernadette whose charming image lingered in his heart and at last he even felt penetrated by a delightful feeling an unacknowledged hope the hope that marie was perhaps right that the virgin might take pity on him and restore to him his former blind faith the faith of the child who loves and does not question oh to believe to believe with his whole soul to plunge into faith for ever doubtless there was no other possible happiness he longed for faith with all the joyousness of his youth with all the love that he had felt for his mother with all his burning desire to escape from the torment of understanding and knowing and to slumber forever in the depths of divine ignorance it was cowardly and yet so delightful to exist no more to become a mere thing in the hands of the divinity and thus he was at last possessed by a desire to make the supreme experiment a week later the journey to lourdes was decided upon pierre however had insisted on a final consultation of medical men in order to ascertain if it were really possible for marie to travel and this again was a scene which rose up before him with certain incidents which he ever beheld whilst others were already fading from his mind two of the doctors who had formerly attended the patient and one of whom believed in the rupture of certain ligaments whilst the other asserted the case to be one of medullary paralysis had ended by agreeing that this paralysis existed and that there was also possibly some ligamentary injury in their opinion all the symptoms pointed to this diagnosis and the nature of the case seemed to them so evident that they did not hesitate to give certificates each his own agreeing almost word for word with one another and so positive in character as to leave no room for doubt moreover they thought that the journey was practicable though it would certainly prove an extremely painful one pierre thereupon resolved to risk it for he had found the doctors very prudent and very desirous to arrive at the truth and he retained but a confused recollection of the third medical man who had been called in a distant cousin of his named de beauclerc who was young extremely intelligent but little known as yet and said by some to be rather strange in his theories this doctor after looking at marie for a long time had asked somewhat anxiously about her parents and had seemed greatly interested by what was told him of monsieur de guersin this architect and inventor with a weak and exuberant mind then he had desired to measure the sufferer's visual field and by a slight discreet touch had ascertained the locality of the pain which under certain pressure seemed to ascend like a heavy shifting mass towards the breast he did not appear to attach importance to the paralysis of the legs 
but on a direct question being put to him he exclaimed that the girl ought to be taken to lourdes and that she would assuredly be cured there if she herself were convinced of it faith sufficed said he with a smile two pious lady patients of his whom he had sent thither during the preceding year had returned in radiant health he even predicted how the miracle would come about it would be like a lightning stroke an awakening an exaltation of the entire being whilst the evil that horrid diabolical weight which stifled the poor girl would once more ascend and fly away as though emerging by her mouth but at the same time he flatly declined to give a certificate he had failed to agree with his two confrères who treated him coldly as though they considered him a wild adventurous young fellow pierre confusedly remembered some shreds of the discussion which had begun again in his presence some little part of the diagnosis framed by beauclerc first a dislocation of the organ with a slight laceration of the ligaments resulting from the patient's fall from her horse then a slow healing everything returning to its place followed by consecutive nervous symptoms so that the sufferer was now simply beset by her original fright her attention fixed on the injured part arrested there amidst increasing pain incapable of acquiring fresh notions unless it were under the lash of some violent emotion moreover he also admitted the probability of accidents due to nutrition as yet unexplained and on the course and importance of which he himself would not venture to give an opinion however the idea that marie dreamt her disease that the fearful sufferings torturing her came from an injury long since healed appeared such a paradox to pierre when he gazed at her and saw her in such agony her limbs already stretched out lifeless on her bed of misery that he did not even pause to consider it but at that moment felt simply happy in the thought that all three doctors agreed in authorizing the journey to lourdes to him it was sufficient that she might be cured and to attain that result he would have followed her to the end of the world ah those last days of paris amid what a scramble they were spent the national pilgrimage was about to start and in order to avoid heavy expenses it had occurred to him to obtain hospitalization for marie then he had been obliged to run about in order to obtain his own admission as a helper into the hospitality of our lady of salvation monsieur de guersin was delighted with the prospect of the journey for he was fond of nature and ardently desired to become acquainted with the pyrenees moreover he did not allow anything to worry him but was perfectly willing that the young priest should pay his railway fare and provide for him at the hotel yonder as for a child and his daughter blanche having slipped a twenty-franc piece into his hand at the last moment he had even thought himself rich again that poor brave blanche had a little hidden store of her own savings to the amount of fifty francs which it had been absolutely necessary to accept for she became quite angry in her determination to contribute towards her sister's cure unable as she was to form one of the party owing to the lessons which she had to give in paris whose hard pavements she must continue pacing whilst her dear ones were kneeling yonder amidst the enchantments of the grotto and so the others had started off and were now rolling ever rolling along as they passed the station of chatellerault a sudden burst of voices made pierre start and drove away the torpor into which his reverie had plunged him what was the matter were they reaching poitiers but it was only half-past twelve o'clock and it was simply sister hyacinthe who had roused him by making her patience and pilgrims say the angelus the three aves thrice repeated then the voices burst forth and the sound of a fresh canticle arose and continued like a lamentation fully five-and-twenty minutes must elapse before they would reach poitiers where it seemed as if the half-hour's stoppage would bring relief to every suffering 
they were all so uncomfortable so roughly shaken in that malodorous burning carriage such wretchedness was beyond endurance big tears coursed down the cheeks of madame vincent a muttered oath escaped monsieur sabatier usually so resigned and brother isidore la grivotte and madame vetu seemed to have become inanimate mere waifs carried along by a torrent moreover marie no longer answered but had closed her eyes and would not open them pursued as she was by the horrible vision of elise rouquet's face that face with its gaping cavities which seemed to her to be the image of death and whilst the train increased its speed bearing all this human despair onward under the heavy sky athwart the burning plains there was yet another scare in the carriage the strange man had apparently ceased to breathe and a voice cried out that he was expiring end of section two